character in the Bible. He's, he's one of those books that, that we don't look at that often. There's some beautiful verses in there. It's, it's written probably around about, you know, roughly 20, 30 years, around about the year 600 B.C., um, roughly contemporary with Jeremiah, uh, Nahum, Zephaniah, that, that sort of time frame. Jeremiah is the one that you've probably heard of. The others are in the Bible as well. Um, he's writing from Jerusalem in the time just before the Babylonians come and destroy the city and, and take the people away as captives. We, we don't know exactly the time and the people debate it, but, but that's roughly the time. What's, what's eating at Habakkuk is not world affairs, but the state of his own people. He looks around at his nation, at his society, a, 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 a society as the people of God that was meant to reflect the character of God. God had said, be holy like I am holy. God had said to them, you are a nation of priests. You are, basically, you are my representatives. Through you, he promised to Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he gave them his law. He said to them, this is, this, if you live like this, you'll be, living, you'll be living a good life. You'll be living a godly kind of life. You will show the world what it means to be my people. But Habakkuk looks around at this bunch of people and, and he sees that it's gone to hell in a handbasket. It's, it's horrible. There's violence. There's there's terror, there's, there's evil, there's just horrible things. There's misery. And it's getting worse, it seems, and it's getting worse, and it seems it's getting worse. Probably uh, Habakkuk is writing a few years after King Josiah. Now, after David, the kings of Jerusalem went a bit downhill. Anna Marie's got a wonderful saying, good, bad, bad, good, good, bad, 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 worst, good, bad, Mostly bads and very few goods. King Josiah is one of the good ones. King Josiah is pretty young when he becomes king, and, and while they're cleaning up the temple, I think they find a book of the law. And Josiah reads it and goes, Wow, we have totally not been doing this. And he starts this revival, and the people of, of Judah just return to God under his leadership, and it's wonderful. And then he dies, and his son takes over, and his son does evil in the sight of God and starts undoing all of the reforms. And then he's captured by uh, Pharaoh Necho, I think, of Egypt, and sent to jail, and, and they put another of Josiah's sons in as king, Jehoiachin, and he's just like his brother. He's totally bad, and he does evil in the sight of God and just goes down, 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 and eventually under Zedekiah. Uh, there's more details in your bulletin if you're interested. Under Zedekiah the Babylonians come, roughly 587 B.C. And assuming, as I think it's right to assume, that, that Habakkuk is writing after Josiah's reign, it seems like all of that good work, all of that revival has all but vanished. The law, he says, is paralyzed. This could be the law of the land, but, but don't forget the law of the land in Judah and Jerusalem is God's law. They were a theocracy. They, they, they were a, a nation under God. God was their king in the Old Testament times. That, that was how it was. And, and he looks and he sees it's just a mess. 
Habakkuk hates having to see all the evil around him. He says here, must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I just see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. There's misery all over the place. And and it's not like he woke up one morning and went, wow, this place is pretty bad. Verse 2, he says, how long, God? How long must I call out to you? And you don't seem to get off your backside and do anything. Now, some of you are looking up at me going, you can't talk to God like that. Well, I'm sorry, but Habakkuk did. He seems to be saying, God, I've reached my limits. I've been asking you to do something about this for a very long time, and it just seems like you're not God. And the reason it it gets at him so much is because Habakkuk knows who God is. Habakkuk knows that God is the God of perfect justice, that he is the one who deals with his enemies, that he is the one who calls his people to holiness. He knows uh, if he's a a worker in the temple, he he knows that that God has instituted uh, sacrifices, that God cares about the holiness of his people. And, and yet it looks like God doesn't care because God's not doing anything. It, it seems like evil's not being dealt with and Habakkuk is just crying out, almost shouting out, Why, God? This is a real person facing some very real circumstances with very real questions about the, re, the reality <laughs> of human suffering and evil in the world. And one of the things that Habakkuk teaches us is to not be afraid to talk to God about it. Oh, I would, I, I would never complain to God that he's not doing anything. For goodness sake, if we think that, tell God about it. God knows what you're thinking anyway. We just sang, we believe. And that, that first verse, in these times of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, there is only one foundation. We believe. In this broken generation, when all is dark, you help us see. There's only one foundation, and that's that we believe. You know, in, in some ways, Habakkuk's situation is very different from our own. But in other ways, his crying out to God has been echoed through the ages by the people of God. People have always asked questions about why the godly seem to suffer and why the wicked seem to hem them in and, and, and why, why, the ungod, why the ungodly hem them in and, and why the ungodly flourish. People have always dared to ask what kind of a God our God is. To ask what the point of prayer is. God, I've been saying, asking this for so long and it seems like you haven't done anything yet. One person I read said that Habakkuk asks the kind of questions that every 
thinking and believing person ought to ask. And I think that's true. If you think at your own life, I, I, I suspect that you have had those times when you've said to God, God, when are you going to do something? If you haven't had those times, it's nice for you. You're probably going to have them at some point in your walk with God. God, how long is this going to carry on? We can get disillusioned like Habakkuk also by, by the state of our world. It seems like so much of what is good and godly in our world is being thrown out of the window. Uh, one example, and this is not about getting political, but we've got this postal survey that's happening, uh, questions about redefining marriage and, and, and calling what is, according to God, wrong, right. And Habakkuk speaks there about the godly, those who want God's ways being hemmed in by the wicked. And, and I look at Australia and the state of the debate in Australia, and you cannot say that you're going to vote no, otherwise you will get attacked. My brother-in-law yesterday was saying in his staff room up in the country, he teaches in a country school, uh, they were talking about this, and uh, he didn't say anything. But they had spoken about Margaret Court had appeared, and they'd watched a video or something, and everyone around the table, the non-Christians were going, oh, isn't she just so pathetic, and how dare she say anything like that, and she's not. He felt, I, I don't have the right. If, if I say anything here, I will be ostracized by everyone in my community. Isn't that what Habakkuk is describing? If you dare to say this is what God wants, you get hemmed in. But it's broader than that. I, I read an article today, uh, not today, uh, this week about uh, what's happening in Iceland uh, by an Icelandic pastor. I read the first bit of this article. Uh, Iceland is on the verge of eradicating Down syndrome, which is wonderful news. Except when you realize that they're on the verge of eradicating Down syndrome because they do prenatal testing and they kill every baby that has it. There's about three born in Iceland every year. And it's okay because the government has uh, they've had a think tank and instead of talking about pregnancy, term, uh, instead of talking about fetus termination, they now talk about pregnancy termination. So they just redefine it. Or let's bring it closer to home. Uh, Australia, this, I don't know what happened, but uh, one of the political parties here on their agenda was we need to talk about slashing our aid budget in half. Or here in Australia, if you are a refugee, good luck, because quite frankly, we're going to lock you up rather than care about you. Now, I know there are some people who aren't refugees and try and play the system, but... But I wonder sometimes whether we just don't care about those who are refugees. Uh, read the back of your bulletin. Uh, there's a story in there uh, from people connected with Fran and Arnold who worked with the refugees on Christmas Island, people who were told they are not allowed to work in Australia and who are now being accused of being basically thieving our money because the government says we're not going to give them any more money to live off when they have been told they're not allowed to work for themselves. Or even closer to home. 
the state of our relationships. Marriages breaking down. Families fighting. Violence in our community. Even closer, think about the sin that happens in your own life, in your own head, in your own thinking. It doesn't take much to actually stop and go, God, how long? It's made more complex because the very people who cry how long were actually part of the problem. (laughs) But we cry and we say, God, we don't want this. We want your kingdom. We want what's better. We want things to be right. God, how long until you actually do something about it? God. What Habakkuk cries out to God, although his circumstances are different, although he lives in Israel and we live in a Gentile nation, a non-Christian nation, although our circumstances are different, the cries of Habakkuk are the cries of God's people through the ages. In fact, we read in Revelation that the saints who have died in heaven, in paradise, waiting for Jesus to return, they, they're under the altar and they cry out to God, How long, God? How long until you bring justice? In this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, there's only one foundation. We believe. Habakkuk believed. That's why he got so anguished. It's because he believed. And when he doubted, he knew that the thing he had to do was to take his questions to God. How long, God? How long until you act, God? Hello, bird. Poor thing. And God answers Habakkuk. Eventually. And it's an interesting answer that God gives him. Habakkuk says to God, God, can I stop seeing all this violence and destruction, please? And God looks at Habakkuk and he says, right, Habakkuk, verse 5, I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. Start of verse 5, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. Habakkuk says, I don't want to look. God says, look. Habakkuk sees his own people falling to pieces. And God says, Habakkuk, I need you to know that I'm on the move. I'm dealing with it. I've started dealing with it already. But, but God's solution to Habakkuk's problem, God, there's violence, there's evil, there's destruction, there's all this terrible stuff. God's solution to the problem is one that God's, God's right to say nobody would believe it if you told them about it because it seems weird. Habakkuk says, God, there's so much violence. God says, right, Habakkuk, you are so right. Do you know what I'm going to do about it? I'm going to bring even more violent people in to deal with the violent people. They go, what? What?" So you're dealing with the violence by super violence. What? I'll bring in the Babylonians. You know, the people that everyone's afraid of. They, they're strong, they're swift, they scoff at rulers, they, they basically laugh at fortifications, they just they siege, uh, besiege the cities, they, they take them over. Yes, says God, they're a proud lot, they're an arrogant lot, they, they think that their own might is their God, which, by the way, is going to be their downfall. But, but 
They remind me a little bit of the world powers that we have today who think that they are invincible, who think that they are strong, and who think that because they are the strongest, they should be the most powerful, whose might is their God, who forget that actually there is a God who is in charge and who is his sovereign over all things. The Babylonians had no idea that God was using them. They thought that they were their own mighty strength. But God had other plans. And God knew how shocking his solution would sound. I'm going to deal with the problem of evil by bringing in some super ultra evil. I'm going to clean the mud off the carpet by putting some more mud on the carpet. But this mud will stain. It's almost what it sounds like, isn't it? It it doesn't seem right for God who is just, God who is supposed to care about things being right, to come along and say, I'm going to use evil as an instrument for righteousness, as an instrument of justice. Just doesn't seem right. How is it that God could use the evil of the Babylonians to usher in his justice? How could he use more violence to deal with violence? Now don't think for a moment that Babylon was going to be immune from God's judgment. They they would face the consequences of their sin, of their idolatry, of their own might. God's already hinted at that here at at verse 11. But, But God's strong enough to use evil for his own good purposes and for ours. In that day of Habakkuk, the the evil was the Babylonians. But there was a time when when God's people were were far from him a little bit later on as well. Um, The land was under the control of an enemy so powerful there was nothing they could do. In fact, uh, Israel at this stage had been under the control of several oppressive forces. The Greeks... And after them, the Romans. They didn't rule themselves. The the law was a bit of a joke. You had two bunches of people. You had those who thought, let's go back to the good old days and make everyone suffer, the Pharisees. And you had the Sadducees who said, let's go back to the good old days where we were more like the Greeks. You had people who were so keen on obeying God that they totally missed obeying God. The people's hearts were far from God. There hadn't been the voice of a prophet, a prophetic voice for a very long time. And then along came a man in the desert saying to people, you've got to get yourselves right with God because God's coming. He said, baptize, be baptized, repent of your sins, turn back to God. God will forgive you. And he also spoke out against the evil of Herod and for his standing up for right, he was arrested. And because he'd really irked Herod's new wife, who he shouldn't have married, he had his head chopped off. And John was killed, John the Baptist. But there was another man at that time, 
also going about saying the kingdom of God is near. Not saying God will forgive your sins, but saying I forgive your sins. He did amazing things. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He, he taught powerfully. And he got made some enemies. And in the end, the people of Jerusalem howled for his blood. As the leaders urged the Romans to put him on a cross. What seemed evil, Roman occupiers, people far from God, leaders who were more interested in their prestige than in, than in doing God's will, what seemed evil, a nation against God and the innocent one killed. What seemed evil, God said, I will use for good. I will bring about justice. I will deal with the crimes of my people. But this time I will also act in mercy. God used the evil of the cross as the instrument for setting things right. You know, even today people cry out, how long, God? How long until you make things right? How long until you make the world right? How long until you make me right? And God's answer to us today is exactly the same as his answer to Habakkuk. He says, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm actually doing. And you might not believe it because, quite frankly, it doesn't make sense. I'm going to bring the Babylonians. Quite frankly, look at what I've done. I died. You wouldn't believe it if somebody told you that I died and that I came back to life again. And yes, the Babylonians think that they have won. Yes, they think that they are mighty, that they are God in their strength. But that will be their downfall. Yes, people thought that they were doing away with me that day when they put me on that cross. But actually, that is the downfall of evil. Because in one fell swoop, I not only deal in justice with the issues in this world, but I also deal with that evil. Death is swallowed up in death. Come awake. Come awake. Look what I've done. You know, we can get so caught up looking at ourselves and our world and saying, how long, oh God? And God says, I'm actually on the move already. Habakkuk, you've heard about the Babylonians, perhaps. They're on their way. 
Church today, you have heard about what I did 2,000 years ago. What I'm doing today, I am still at work. We heard a story today about what Jesus has done. And he is coming back. Oh, may we be ready for him. May we be ready for him. You know what, we're not going to do a cooey because it just doesn't seem appropriate now. We're just going to ask, Mark, would you just wander across and, and let the people know that we're going to do communion for us? Thank you. Because we are going to take communion together. This is where we remember what Jesus has done. How long, O oh God... God says, get your head out of your own navel. It's not like I'm not doing anything. In fact, I have done the unthinkable. The evil in this world will not have the final word. If you look at your world and you go, how long, O oh God? If you look at yourself and you go, how long, O oh God? There is only one solution. And it's the greater evil of Jesus crucified. There's a beautiful song that we, we don't know as a church, but it says, I'm the one who held the nail. It was cold between my fingertips. Because of us, Jesus died. And because of Jesus, we don't have to. I'm going to invite you when, you, when you feel ready, to come up, grab some of the bread, some of the, the grape juice, symbols of Jesus' body and his blood. And as you take this, this morning, feel free to say to God, how long? Because this is God's answer. God says, this long. I'm already working. While we do that, we're going to be uh, listening to a song. It's a song called Do It Again. We started with the story of the Israelites crossing over into the promised land. The first city that they took was the city of Jericho. They walked around the walls seven times. It's a great story before the walls fell. And this song looks at that part of the story. It says, God, I've been walking around these walls for a pretty long time now. You know, seven days. I've been saying, how long, God, for quite a long time now. And the song says, I felt sure that by now the walls would be down, God. But the song also says, on the basis of what you've done, I believe you can be trusted. How long, God? I'm going to trust you regardless. When you're ready, come up, grab some grape juice and bread, and we'll listen to the song as we go.
How long, O oh God? I'm at work. He never has failed us yet. Let's remember that. Keep our eyes on Jesus and the great evil that was done there which gives us life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he give you joy. May he give you peace. May in the midst of any questions, any struggles, any suffering, any askings of why, may God say to you, I am at work. Will you trust me again? Amen.